0: Hello animation fans and welcome to another iAnimate podcast. This is episode 30. I am your host Larry Vasquez and joining me in this podcast is my friend and partner in crime, Mr. Rick Arroyo. How you doing, Rick?
1: Doing great. How you doing?
0: I'm doing fantastic, man. It's been a bit since you and I have done a podcast. I'm looking forward to this one here.
1: Oh, me too. I'm pretty excited.
0: All right. We've got a great guest. Christian Zanzuk here will be joining us. He's an animation director at Ubisoft and 15 years in the industry. So I think this is going to make a really cool podcast with a lot of neat insight. And uh, hopefully he's going to have some cool stories for us, too.
1: Yeah, he's a he's a real pro. Uh, Definitely a lot uh, to learn from. So.
0: All right. All right couple of things here before we jump into this. We want to first congratulate our new students who have just recently finished up our spring session here. Congratulations to them as well as to the instructors. So always need to see the work that's being produced throughout the session. And uh, so big congratulations to them as well as to, to the instructors. I know the, the students always give big kudos to the instructors. They couldn't do without them. Which leads us into another one here. We'll be starting our next session here, September 8th. September 8th, we'll be starting our next sessions. So if you're looking forward to ramping up your animation skills, join us, apply for our our fall session here, starting September 8th. Uh, Rick, we've got a new uh, or a modified version of our Games Workshop 3. You want to talk a little about that?
1: Yes, we have our Elite Edition, which uh, we will be introducing a collection of masterclasses given by six veterans from the industry going to be having topics and lectures uh, such as interactive battles, cinematic, staging, um, game integration, and cameras. So it's going to be a fantastic workshop. Anyone can uh, apply to the workshop. Obviously, we always place you where your skill set is ready, but if you, know, if you feel that you're ready and you have the, the knowledge to jump into that workshop, you know you can apply right now.
0: So, this is an opportunity for maybe some animators out there who have been working professionally for a bit here and be able to uh, take some master classes, so to speak, from some top instructors here.
1: Uh, Absolutely, exactly. So, you know, if if you've been animating, even if you've been animating, you know, for eight, 10 years and you really want to bring it to the next level, uh, this might be the right spot for you. Or even if you want to get some new skills and have an introduction to games and have more flexibility in your career, then this would be the spot to to start. Right on,
0: right on. Always learning, always learning. Um, we also have the uh, motion capture workshop, which is dropped in price. We've uh, been able to try to accommodate that to more artists, and so that has seen a half price reduction here. So if you want to, like you mentioned here, add more versatility to your skill set, come join the motion capture workshop. Um, and then last announcement here that we'll finish off before we jump into the podcast is we've got a ton of new rigs that we've just released this last block, this last session here. We've got our new Jake rig that we just, I mean, literally released the last week. And we've got a new rig coming out for the Games Workshop Anna, which looks really, really cool. And uh, some new creature ones, too. Uh, amazing, that instinct creature, pretty gnarly looking creature. So um, a lot of cool rigs, very unique. So Come join the workshops and uh, have a chance to animate some of these characters. All right, Rick, you ready to jump into the podcast?
1: Absolutely. Let's do this.
0: All right. Hello, hello. Hello,
2: hello. How's it going? Hi, Larry. Uh, I'm enjoying your your very good radio voice. How about that?
0: (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. First of all, Christian, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. We always appreciate our guest's time, and it sounds like you've been a little bit busy here. You've had a newborn, huh?
2: yeah 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 no it's uh it's my pleasure it's you know it's it is it's like what it's like Ten thirty here i think it is now my baby's gone down so we should be fine awesome <laughs> at least six in the morning at least yeah.
0: <laughs> well like i said we do appreciate it so uh thank you for joining us here now once you tell us a little about yourself uh, i understand you're an animation director there at ubisoft
2: yes yeah yeah i'm uh Currently Animation Direct, uh, the newly, well, not so much newly formed now, but uh, uh, one of the newer Ubisoft studios in Toronto. Um, As you can hear, I'm English, so so, um, it's like I started in the industry, I think it's like 15, 16 years ago now. Mm. Um, You know, it's like, and before that, I, I was at university studying animation, and I always kind of had a passion for animation before that. And you know, even back to the days of like Deluxe Paint Three, where they had the animation package in there, and I used to make little pixels like <laughs> kind of jump around and interact with each other because I didn't have the I didn't have the upgrade on my on my my Amiga at the time, so I could only do pixels. That was it.
3: <laughs>
0: so what was
2: your first and, exposure uh, to animation? So that was pretty cool. Um, well, doing it myself would have been that, or I used to borrow my my mum's camcorder and and kind of you know the I, I was like i used to do a really makeshift stop frame animation mm. but it was like you didn't know it, you couldn't actually do frame by frame it would be on for like three seconds and then off and then off so it was like this really badly animated thing i used to try and make like teddy bears like walk around and <laughs> stuff like that i think i was doing that when i was like eight years old so that yeah. so that was kind of cool Very um nice and then let's see and then i mean that's going back way 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 so but then my my first kind of like uh real exposure was when i went to university um and then i i studied animation it's like in, in in the uk at the time animation courses were were kind of scarce and hard to come by so i i you know it's and at the time it was like i didn't even realize that i wanted to go into animation it was i i did my my qualifications in college and I think I did physical education, computing and art. Mm. You add those three together, it kind of equals animation. <laughs> right. So and I didn't realize at the time. I just I, I I played a lot of basketball, so I wanted to do physical education. I liked computers and I could draw. So I did those thinking, all right, I'll work it out later. And it and then I went through the thing. Animation beginning with A came up first. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. So I went to university, love that. And was exposed to stop motion. Was exposed to traditional animation. And at the end, um, I ended up being the first um, animator in our school to even attempt to do CG animation. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, and this was again, it's like, so I got myself a copy of like 3ds Max, taught myself how to use that without any instructions, and on my own in my room, and then kind of just kept working with that. And uh, and this, it kind of, my love of animation just grew from there and I just kind of experiment with things and I really wanted to to cross different medias and I wanted to have drawn animation in there and have stop motion animation in there and CG and have it all seamlessly work together and and I ended up creating a film about road rage I think it was
1: yeah <laughs> is there something um, we could get a hold of
2: um i think it's around somewhere i think Similar my dad's line? got it. no i don't know whether it's online but uh, i think okay. my dad's i think my dad's got a copy
1: <laughs> are you sure you want us to see it <laughs> <laughs> i don't
2: I, I, I don't know i mean i think i did for i mean my, for my first interview at ubisoft i did actually have some of it in my showreel oh wow all right mm-hmm. got him a gig at ubisoft there was that your first gig uh no no, no. my first gig was actually at a company uh called traveler's tales Um, They make the the Lego games and and all that. But at the time, they were this tiny company that just happened to be in my my home. Um, And they were making, um, they just got a a big deal, I think, to make the first Sonic the Hedgehog game outside of Japan um so i ended up working with them and the first thing i animated was i think uh, a puffer fish that used to expand every time you got close to it <laughs> and then so so that was the first thing i did and then you know i spent i think like a week animating this puffer fish which would take me probably about an hour now but <laughs> i was obsessed with getting it i was obsessed with getting it right because i wanted to impress these people that at the time you know had been in the industry for for years and had produced you know like uh, all these games and started to, to all grow into a successful company so i didn't want to. I didn't want to be look like an idiot, you know. So I, you know, but in turn, I ended up spending a week animating a pufferfish, <laughs> but,
3: <laughs>
2: but, uh, which is still in there now. Actually, it's like you can see that online, and it's like I was, I was really proud of it. It was I think worth I was, it, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> worth the week. It was definitely. And then I think I animated like some some robots, uh, like uh, like a, an Ed 209 character, like something from Robocop, and then it kind of just. You know, and then, you know, I ended up, um, moving down to Bristol, um, not being an animator for a while and then working on, on games that you probably haven't heard of, but, uh, I was like modeling things for a while. I was kind of like being a jack of all trades and then wormed my way into being the animator. And then, you know, like just over time, I ended up becoming more embedded in the animation team and then ultimately became the lead. Um, and then, uh, I went to Montreal in two thousand and five. for um, so then I didn't realise was gonna be Assassin's Creed. Um and then, you know, so I was, like, talking to all these guys, having my interview, you know, I was going on about how much I love Prince of Persia, which you worked on, Rick. Yeah. Or and, and, uh, well, one of you, them, at least. Ev- anyway. everyone, everyone better love Prince of Persia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just, you know, <laughs> got to that out there, you know. It's, it's, I, I loved it because it was fluid. And it kind of turned out that, you know, I, I was obsessed with games like the original Prince of Persia and the Amiga. Oh, yeah. um, I loved, like, Flashback. Um, there was, a, I think, in, uh, in the UK, there was a game called Another World, which I think over here was called Out of This World. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. I loved games like that. And it was because they, they they, I'd never seen that sort of animation in games before. And I think it was that that, that really made me want to go and work for Ubisoft, especially after they'd made Santa Time.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
2: so I end up interviewing with those guys and it turns out that I'm talking to the animation director and telling him how much he's amazing, not realizing it was him. So I don't know whether they gave me the job just because I, I basically you know sucked up so much, <laughs> or or they actually liked me. But it turned out I was the only animator on that team that they hired externally wow. because every other animator was kind of because at the time Assassins was this no one knew what it was but everyone was secret, wanted to be yeah. yeah yeah everyone wanted to be on it. I think Rick, you would have been there about that time, right? So yeah,
1: I, I worked on the, the oh, is it the, the PS2. Oh, yeah. I worked on the PS2 and in the marketing. Anyways, that's, yeah, that's yeah. I want to know. We want to know more about
2: you. Forget about oh, it, yeah. right? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you're involved in this story as well. as nice to we're paths cross here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a very small industry. Everyone knows everyone, right? So, yeah. you know, always got to be nice. Yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, yeah, so I, I ended up working on this, you know, with, with these amazing guys. And they'd all worked on, like, Prince of Persia and, and like, you know, like, Santa of Time and Two Thrones. And, nice. And, uh, was it? No, it was Warrior Within was the second one, I think it was. They were making yeah. Two Thrones at the time. And, um, yeah, yeah, so I ended up getting on. The, they sit me down in front of this amazing, what Ubisoft calls fake game footage, which at the time was like, oh, my God, it look, it looks amazing. You know, the animation director was like, we want you to take control of the fighting. And I was like, okay. And he was like, do you know what you want to do? And he was like, no, we haven't got design for it yet. We just know we want it to look really realistic. We want to, we want to do something that hasn't been seen before. That's you. Go. <laughs> and I just say, all right, okay. So we ended up going through all these iterations of things. And, um, you know, it's like ultimately uh, I ended up getting in the suit. You know, it's like I was. It's it's interesting because I've I've heard on Jonathan's podcast before him say that he refuses to get in the suit. Um, that's Jonathan Cooper, by the way. And and I'm kind of the opposite. I like to get in the suit. I know that there's people better, but I like to get in the suit because I think it it it's, it helps um, keep me kind of close to what I want. And then and then once I know what I want, then I'll probably get someone better in the suit just to to kind of make that look a little bit better. So is it kind of like shooting reference for you sometimes yeah yeah it was for for assassins it definitely was um because all the fight moves in the original assassins were myself and the animation director at the time uh-huh. um so there was like all these knee breaks and all these kind of like balletic moves and i I was obsessed with like this. I wanted the flow of everything to work really well. You know, like if you, we had this thing that we called the donut um, and it was like you could swing the sword, but instead of swinging it just straight down, it would only ever come in in the diagonal. So uh, the cool thing about that was because it was coming in at an angle, you could actually take that, that initial momentum and then do something with it. So then you'd get all these really interesting counters and and, and, that was, and that was how we actually worked on the blocking system as well because then there'd be like a, as the hit was coming in, and then the sword would kind of move up to to block one of these angles on the on the donut, and then and then you could kind of go from there. So that's. Uh, but you know, we really wanted to have this visceral feeling between two like combatants, and we hadn't seen that, you know, because always the sword was going into someone. He'd be like, nah, that wouldn't work because it would kill them. It would take their arm off, and we would really wanted this realistic feeling combat at the time, and it and it kind of fitted with what the original assassins was gonna was gonna be. Um, so, so that was something that was really exciting. Um, you know, we had no idea how big that game was going to be at the time. I'm sure other people on the team did like Jade and, and Patrice, but we kind of just saw it as, wow, this is amazing. This truly is at the time what we thought was next gen. So, so working on that, it was kind of cool. We ended up shipping that, Then I ended up leaving to go back to England. I think it was.
1: Oh, well, well, let's, let's, before we go, before we leave, cause yeah. there's, there's a lot of, lot of things. And I, <laughs> I, Larry and I were like, we're on, on so Larry, go ahead. Continue.
0: Well, okay. So, for example, you were talking about jumping in the suit initially. Mm. Is is that something where you see for yourself as kind of either shooting reference or even like some other animators, they thumbnail. They want to get something down on the piece of paper first, see what they what's in their head, and then they go shoot reference. Is that kind of how you see wanting to jump in the suit for your workflow?
2: No, at the time it was uh, we didn't have access to uh, the actors. You know, it's like mm. now there's like there's a, there's full access to actors, parkour, stunt guys and everything. We just didn't have access to that then, you know. Um, And so but I knew I mean, animators, I kind of class as frustrated actors. So, you know, <laughs> and, and and we we got in the suit because at the time we didn't really know what the moves were going to be. I had like a design, you know, and I'd kind of acted them out with my animation director. But then. We found that the best people to actually get them in the game, and because we wanted this untrained raw look, we thought that hey, well, the best way to get an untrained raw look is to get untrained raw people. in yeah. <laughs> And you know, and and we had no combat experience whatsoever, and it kind of it, it, it seemed to fit with the first assassins, you know. Um. And so so that that was kind of why we did that. I mean, I've been in the suit many times since for different things, but mainly uh, just for simpler things. You know? it's like I've, I've do, I haven't done anything that aggressive now. I wouldn't dare. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so let, let me ask you a few things. Do you use the, um, the motion capture suit to explore your ideas or do you kind of come to the mocap studio, prepare with a few ideas and then rehearse it or try to work it out?
2: Oh, no, no, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm prepared. I, I don't believe in going to a motion capture shoot unprepared. I think it, it costs too much and I, it's like I, I don't feel comfortable um, if I if I, I mean, it's nice if you've got some time at the end and you've got everything you need, you know. But I I always like to have a a plan. We'd work through those moves until we got something that we liked, and and that was the first game that we really worked on the process for how we were going to capture some of those moves that ended up being used for all the subsequent assassins. Um, so you know, and then whenever I've been in the suit after that, I've always known what I've needed, you know. And it's like it's usually working with like really talented people, and you kind of I I like to collaborate with them you know it's like uh, I I worked on a bond game and we worked with the stunt guy the stunt double for uh, Daniel Craig and you know it's like I have an idea of what I want to do but at the end of the day they're the expert so mm-hmm. it's like if I say what would, what would Daniel Craig's bond do in this situation he'd be like okay well and then he usually offers like about four or five alternatives and I just pick the one that I think fits my agenda Nice. you know so um so it's great you you need to, I mean assassins was hired someone like in the suit that isn't an animator whereas every other time i've i've been in the suit but it's been as kind of as a almost like as a prototype face you know um but then as i said we had like kevin secor for blacklist and that guy i could talk about him for hours but it's like you defer to people like that who is this you know kevin secor was the um combat consultant um he's the real deal the real sam fisher and Ah. we had him and yeah, he's
1: the real Sam Fisher. We we we'll be getting to him, but I had another question before we leave uh this first part of his career. Mm. So one thing uh often is people don't realize when they get into the industry, especially in the game industry, uh the the amount of responsibility. Were you surprised when you were when you got hired at Ubisoft the amount of responsibility they gave you up front right away on Assassin's Creed?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like they 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 either had this blind faith in me or that was just the way that ubisoft worked you know i i came onto this team and there's like these like five other amazingly talented animators and then you know and i'm thinking right i'm massively out of my depth here i think that maybe they've hired the wrong person yeah. <laughs> and then and then they give and then they go and give me something as as big as the combat system mm-hmm. you know like out the gate it was like they'd already decided before i was there it wasn't like i i kind of like Took it and then went. I'm having this. They were like, No, you're doing this.
1: Right, right. And so, do you think? Do you think? Um, I mean, now that you're, you know, you're a seasoned um, animator, like an, a true expert. But do you think that it was the expectation that that you realized that you had to meet, being, you know, working at a, such a studio?
2: Yeah, I certainly didn't want to disappoint them. You know, um, it was. But it's like in working in uh, in the Montreal studio, you kind of realize that's that's what people expect of you. You know, yeah, it's, regardless it's, of
1: it's, regardless of where where you start, I mean.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've been there. I, I mean, I didn't go in as a lead. I didn't go in. I, I went in as just as a as a senior animator, and they out the gate expected me to to work with the programmer, work with the designer as this kind of trinity, which works really really well and seems to be like something that's taken across all the teams in Ubisoft. I mean, at least, and you know, it's like everyone works really closely together, and then it's always a discussion. It's a collaboration. You know, like the animator will lead the visual, but then the animator is also expected to be in the d- the design discussions and also probably the system discussions. You know, it's like and and game animators, uh, the way they work for me is they their job isn't done at the visual. That's like fifty percent of it, if that. You know, it's like you're, you you need to have it in the game. You need to feel it. You need to uh, have it approved. You know, it's like I used to love it when. Um, We'd get like the designers or the, the leads coming over and then the, the, they'd play some of the systems that we'd made and you you didn't have to ask them what their feedback was you could see you know I used to, I used to take a step back and just watch them. Patrice would come over the first time I think I remember the first time we we added uh, one of the the counter animations um, Patrice came over and I told him how to do it and and his face was just it lit
3: up
2: <laughs> it was just like and he just looked at me and went, "I want more of that everywhere." <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right okay so that basically was the green light to go and just go crazy you know it, he and then it was like you could see It was like he looked at me and then you could see. right i trust you now now go and make the rest of the system you know and it was it was great you know and then that really did promote ownership in me you know and then i kind of felt like oh, all right well i've 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 made patrice happy once i want to do it again so i kept going and kept going and kept going and then you know and then every time we'd have something new you know you'd see him get more and more excited with it you know, and the animation director was like, "This is awesome. Just keep going." You know, so I was like, I was waiting for the for the penny to drop and then someone go, "Wait a minute!" It's like this guy, this guy, he's he's getting it from somewhere. But you know, it's like, <laughs> but I was I was clearly doing something right. But then I feel that that is a very Ubisoft thing. You know, okay. it's like they, they 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 make they make sure that the the animators are fully involved in the design process and the implementation.
1: Do you find you were more um a game developer or an animator when you started the job like how like what was the kind of relationship Did you come in like as an animator or were you or do you realize you were becoming more of a game developer
2: you know i i came in a, i came in an animator and i left as a as a motion designer you know <laughs> it's like it was it was weird it was like uh i thought i was good when i When I got to Montreal, I you know I thought I knew what I was talking about and and then within I think like about two months of working with those guys, I kind of realized how much I didn't know you know <laughs> and it's it was such a steep learning curve but I, I think I learned so much in my time there that it's it's really kind of influenced the way I work now so i i, I even as an animation director now I class myself as a designer i'm I'm well aware as of of what a system needs to look like as well as how it feels you know now we've talked about
0: this before in some uh, past podcasts but can you guys again elaborate maybe for those that have been new or since it's been a while how do you guys see an animator v- different from a game developer versus what you're talking about here now a designer how do those how are those different
2: um let's see I mean I mean as as my role I think um I think the 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 design works extremely closely with us. So we we've, you know, everyone kind of has their roles and, but it's like they, you know, the animator is the expert in that field of the visual side of things, you know, and it's like we're, we're as involved in the design uh, of a system as the designers are. I mean, it's like I'm sat next to designers, you know, it's that's, and I've sat next to designers, sat next to programmers. And I think the, the way we all work together it's we kind of become one do you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, so so what does a designer do then for example the designer will let's see the i mean like for for blacklist the the designer would be kind of giving us what their intention is they say this is what they expect it to feel like and you know and then and then we'll maybe go back and forth and then we'll kind of bounce ideas off them and then we'll have like a programmer there and then we'll maybe talk about how it's supposed to feel and the implementation and what we're going to do with that and then usually I'll come up with with um like a grey block uh, with like a just a blocking of something just something really really quick the the quickest thing I can possibly do to to get the intentions and the feel and then you know then you'll usually see the designer just play play the hell out of that just to see whether it feels right and then we'll kind of we'll go back and forth and then we'll 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 tweak some of the numbers and then we'll add the visual over the top of that and then we're always working together it's not it's it's very rare that a designer will just say to an animator go and do this and then we don't see him for like two weeks mm. it's 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 like a daily conversation
0: now that's kind of brings up a, an interesting question here. Uh, I, You know, we've we have obviously our games specific workshops, our feature specific workshops, creature specific workshops, and things of that nature here. And and there's obviously um, you know like I mentioned before, we've had Cameron Fielding on here who has worked at high levels in regards to feature film over at DreamWorks as well as high level in video games and talking about how there's pros and cons to each filled so to speak mm. is that one of the things that you really enjoy in the game arena is the
2: collaboration that you're able to do oh for, for sure you know i think that you know the payoff for, for film and, and cinematics guys is kind of seeing their stuff on the big screen right um my payoff is is seeing people play the game and then you know like you see some of the comments about how good something looks or feels you know it's like i i really i i love that you know, I and and then as I said, it's like, you know, seeing firsthand how people enjoy systems that you've worked on mm-hmm. that, that that's that's kind of cool to me. I think that's why I, I love games animation. You know, it's just been something I've been I've always been keen on. It's not to say that um, I think anything different of cinematics or, right. or or film. It's just it's a different skill set. Right. You know, it's I mean, animation's animation, but it's it's how you apply it and and i just i think i would be i think i'd probably be a little lost if i was to just go fully cinematic mm-hmm. but but i i love the hands-on and the visceral feel of games and just of- one of the other things i'm hearing though is that
0: you're mentioning you've got next to you, you've got a, a program on the other side of you you've got a developer and so it seems like you're that's where i guess i'm getting at kind of on the collaborations where you're working with different department so to speak very closely yeah whereas it seems maybe like in the feature film or or cinematics you aren't dealing so much with uh character td as much or a programmer Uh, those would be kind of more fewer and further
2: yeah i mean i think that you know like the the cinematics team and everything they'll work really closely with other animators and they'll like perfect the visual Mm -hmm. and things and they'll work with like the cinematics director and they might work on some level with like a character td but it's like my but the the day to day collaboration with like designers and and even other parts of the team you know it's like I'll work with sound guys i'll work with with like the t d s myself you know I'll work with all the different departments I'll work with level design when we're working on like uh, crowd life and things like that it's I, I i get to speak to to everyone on the team at some point mm-hmm. you know yeah. and 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 i I really really enjoy that. You know, yeah. I, I think if you were to put me in a corner and say, hey, animate this scene and, and don't come back until it's perfect, right? and, <laughs> and get, and I think I'd get bored with animating on a scene for like two. That's just me. Right, know, right. It?
0: And that's, I guess, why I'm kind of asking that because I know there's some people might go, no, I'd, I'd actually prefer that. But there's other people who may be listening to this podcast hearing what you're doing is going, no, that's something I'd actually like to venture out more into. And so it can kind of help steer them, so to speak, based upon their personality and their desires in animation yeah, yeah, yeah. to kind of go more that
1: route yeah really quickly, I'm sorry to cut, but really quickly, just broad stroke a game animator when you're in, and we use the term game animator lightly uh you have uh you're involved in a lot of things you have a lot of responsibilities as we mentioned early on, and a lot of um you're allowed to pitch a lot of things and you can have a huge impact on on the project you have, even though you're just might be um you know a junior animator or a senior animator, you can bring a lot to the table. At many many uh, levels and different departments, which is, to me, is like it's it's one of the fun parts of working in in uh, in the game industry. Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's a really good point. I mean, you know, it's like it's it, it you can you can have such a significant. Influence on how something would work from just from basically the, ju- the most junior of animators, and you know it's like it's it's you're doing something different every day. You know it's because the, of the turnaround and how quick we have to get certain things out. You know it's like you you may be working on one day you might be working on a fight move another day you might be working on something for the locomotion system, um, another day you might be just working on something for the crowd life and. And it just keeps kind of going in roundabouts, and then it's it's like my my wife works in uh, ER, and the reason she likes it is because it's something new every day, you know. Um, and I, and I think that is exactly why I like what I do. Mm-hmm. It's 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 it is something new. It's refreshing. It's you know. And as I said I think that I, I I don't know whether I could have the patience to spend a long time on one shot. That's just me. But I I think maybe I've just got a really short attention span. And for animators, animators, that's really weird because we're supposed to be able to
3: focus.
2: (laughs) Maybe this is why I'm a director. I get to touch everything now.
3: That's
0: it. I noticed that in your reel, there was a lot of combat. Mm. And uh, has has that been something that you've gravitated towards now? Or how, how did that kind of come about?
2: I think that was accidental. Okay. (laughs) You know, it's more of I. I became the combat guy, and the thing is, is when you work on a project as high profile as Assassin's Creed, then and then and then everyone knows that you were the lead combat guy on that. Then you're now the expert. Yeah, people want you for that, right? (laughs) So, so I ended up going to um, a company in Bristol as their lead animator, and the very first thing I did was I I gave the combat to another animator because I didn't want to touch it. (laughs) Yeah. the problem was is is the project that we were working on there unfortunately didn't see the light of day, so I couldn't show anything from that. So yeah. the next project I worked on was James Bond, and the really the reason they wanted me on that project was because of Assassin's Creed.
3: Yeah.
2: So they wanted me to 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 bring the realism and the and the feel to the combat of James Bond that I'd done for Assassin's. So and then obviously that game came out, so I could put that on my reel. <laughs> so. So yeah. the thing is, is I've done lots of other stuff other than combat. It's just usually they're in games that haven't shipped, <laughs>
3: so, that,
2: <laughs> so I can't show it. But um, you know, obviously for Splinter Cell, it's like I handed the combat to someone else. But because I, I've worked on combat so much, I felt like I could. That was one of the easiest things for me to explain to someone else. You know, so and I wanted to challenge myself by by working on uh, more of the locomotion and the ai systems and and things like that and then basically just trust another animator to to get the combat to feel how i wanted it to feel
0: very nice now in your reel you have uh, a shot that says original animation versus additive animation what does mm. that what does that mean
2: um well i i i kind of realized that you know, it's like a lot of show reels out there for games animators. They the, they tend to just show individual shots and loops and things like that. And I really wanted to show what the um, the combination of animations would look like, because that's that's ultimately how you work. You know, it's like it's it's very rare that you'll have one pure 100% animation without anything added to it. Mm. Um, and what additive animation is something that's, that's not new. It's not um, that innovative it's just it's it's a commonly used technique and then it'll you'll take a base animation and then you'll add something over the top of it All right? so but you'll still retain the underlying <laughs> motion uh, but then the cool thing is, is you can add like idols and stuff like that but still retain like some of the the loops from the run
3: yeah.
2: um so i wanted to try and show this to show that not only was i thinking in a different way but i also knew how an animation would look when you added it together with lots of other animations. Cause you need to think, you know, as one of my philosophies as a, uh, as animation director is you don't necessarily look at the individual animation you're working on. You need to look at the animation before it and the animation after it. Okay. Um, and it's about the sequence. And then conversely, then you look at the, and then you look at the animation before that. So you need to think before the animation and a couple of steps after the animation. Otherwise the flow is just not going to work. Right. That's great.
0: Okay, so Assassin's Creed came out in 2007, the very first one here. At least it mm-hmm. looked like a, based upon the uh, some of the information I was looking at. How, as an animator, has that job changed, so to speak, from
2: 2007 to now with these new systems? Uh, I think animators have got a lot more control now. Um, you know, it used to be we'd pass off our animations to a programmer and then, you you know, you wouldn't see them and then sometimes they wouldn't even show you and then you wouldn't see them until you saw them in a review and then you'd be like, oh, wait a minute, that animation doesn't look how I meant for it to look. But I think animators are more involved on a day-to-day basis now. Um, you know, it's like the powers in the the hands of the content creators. You know, obviously you're still working with these other people, but it's it feels like the programmers are providing the tools for the animators so we can build the state system so we can start putting our our moves together and then ultimately the best person to tell you if an animation is working correctly and feels right is going to be the animator that worked on it mm-hmm. um so that's that's where that has gone for me and every team i've worked with on assassins and since assassins has been working towards that whether they've had that technology or not
0: okay how does your workflow now with these new gen systems, is it, is it something where they can now test it more quickly and they can get that fill back and forth pretty easily? Or what's, how is it different on a day to day project for an animator?
2: Um, Well, blacklist, we could, we could get an animation in and then, you know, like we, we could test it instantly, you know? So, uh, so I mean, the the good thing is, is like the, the programmers would give us a bunch of criteria that we could attach an animation to, you know, and then uh, we could just then add, It'd like add as many animations as we felt was necessary for that system. For example, we had our um, hit reaction and um, death animations for the AI, and then it's like we would have we'd be able to add criteria to the animation that would take into account direction, um, speed they were walk uh, they were moving at the time the the bullet hit them, um, the direction the bullet has come from, the type of weapon. Um, and there was a couple of other things as well, and then we'd be able to add all that together, and that would give you an animation, you know, like that. And then you could apply that to certain animations, so you get like a bunch of variety. And then you could use those animations together, and then create new things. So we we could do that, and then just it was it really was down to as soon as we got that system, it was like a, a, you could give it to the animator and just say, go as far as you want, mm. you know. And that that's great because yeah. it really promotes ownership for the animator as well.
0: All right. Now, is Splinter Cell Blacklist? Is this the first game that you're shipping for the next gen? Uh, Splinter Cell Blacklist shipped last year. So, is that so. on the new systems or is that on? No, the... no, no,
2: no. It was it was one it was one of the last games I think on the the last generation of consoles. Okay. So we had we still had a lot of restrictions, you know, like because um, I think we'd we push the console about as far as it could possibly go. Um, and the thing is with Blacklist, and is like they wanted more of everything. You know, and that wasn't just the animation department. That was every other department wanted to add more. <laughs> so the problem is, is with everyone wanting to add more, then you don't magically get more space. You have to be more efficient. Mm. So we had, to, I think, for the, I think, for convictions animation budget, I think they had a budget of around like forty-eight megabytes for animation, something around there. I think, you know, I've got an exact number somewhere. But for for blacklist, they wanted more animation, more variety. But we had half the animation budget,
3: mm.
2: so something's got to give. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and it's like, and we had to find a way that it didn't. And I really didn't want to compromise on quality. I didn't want to be the animation director that, that made Splinter Cell look bad. <laughs> so, um, especially with it being a new studio, we we get blamed for all of these things. So, so I was very conscious about that, and we had to be very, very clever with how we we created certain things.
0: Now I'm sure that's not an ideal situation that you want to be in, but do you did you find that sometimes those restrictions help you be able to have to really think outside of the box and be really clever, really creative in those situations there that you wouldn't have thought of beforehand because you didn't have to?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like I mean, restrictions are good. They're there for a reason, Mm -hmm. right? It's like when you don't have any restrictions, then you can create anything, but then sometimes you end up creating nothing. Uh You end up just wasting space. You know, it's like we we found uh, really efficient ways that actually made the animation look better, made made us create less work. There was less waste. And it it basically meant that we could focus more on the quality of specific animations.
0: Mm. Now, what are you currently working on now? I know we can't talk too much about it, but
2: <laughs> I would love to tell you about what I'm looking at. <laughs> right but I I would I would get into so much trouble. Okay. So, okay. Has but what been... I can what I will tell you, because I'm bursting. I'm absolutely <laughs> I'm t- <laughs> Seriously, it's <laughs> like it's we're working on something that I know you probably hear this all the time. We are truly, genuinely, one hundred percent working on something that has not been seen before. It's it's like it's it's a very animation based thing and i'm extremely excited about it but <laughs> i have to go dark after this that's
0: yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> hey that gives us a good reason to bring you back
2: on that gives yeah, a, you that's know... that's It gives us yeah i'm all about the performance all right <laughs> yeah
1: yeah I, I really quickly i had a quick question is um you know you started your career as as a, a keyframe animator right mm-hmm. And yeah. and obviously you do a lot of keyframing, do a lot of keyframing. You think we work similar, on uh, many ways. But um, but now you've been working with a lot of with motion capture. Like how urgent or vital do you think it is to know how to be creative with motion capture and and, and use that?
2: I think it's 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 definitely a it's it's a way of thinking. I think that uh, I mean it's it's another form of reference. I suppose if you look at it, you know it's like I mean some animators shoot video. And stuff like that, I mean, I'm lucky enough to have access to a motion capture studio, you know, so it's like so I I can just I can film stuff and I can use that as reference. And then I can base my moves on there. A lot of times I'll see uh, something in in a piece of motion capture that we may not actually be using, but I'll use it for another purpose. Um, So and then a lot of times I'll use animation from motion capture as a base to create something different. You know, um, like I, I may even take like a walk cycle, and instead of having to worry about creating all the pass points and all the the contacts and everything there, I'll take that and I'll actually completely augment that to something that is different. And it's just sometimes it's just quicker, you know. But take you know, knowing how to manipulate mocap and and what to take away from it and what to keep without losing the integrity is definitely a skill.
0: Yeah. Is there any uh, myths you want to you would? dispel in regards to motion capture
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's a great question i like that one
2: (laughs) my my creative director on blacklist always used to think that we could just go to motion capture and that would be it done and i'll just say but the thing is i'll take that as a compliment because obviously we made it look easy (laughs) (laughs) yeah there you
3: go but
2: but it's 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 not it's like motion capture Depending on how you use it and how good you prepare it will get you fifty to maybe seventy percent of the way there, which is which is great, but then you've still got to go thirty percent to shippable mm-hmm. and that that's and you know you've heard the saying about the last ten percent's the hardest that's the way it is It's like to get something shippable to make sure the contacts look good and and motion capture always looks slower than you expect it. <laughs> Even though percent yeah yeah even though it's not yeah yeah exactly so i've heard i've heard I heard people before they put a blanket twenty percent increase yeah. on it and i i I do the same
1: I do yeah the i same. see that's that's that was done like in 2005 I think we're like 20 percent faster automatic yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: so 20 percent faster and then like delete half the keys that was yeah. the way, that's <laughs> that the is. way it was so it's so yeah so working with motion capture I think is is it's kind of like a privilege you know not everyone gets to do it and you know I've been lucky enough to to work with companies that that see the the use of it and I've worked with animators that uh, that are always like no no I don't want to use motion capture but I'm like okay right well if you can animate something that looks better than I can animate quicker then yeah let's talk
3: yeah <laughs>
2: But then, you know, it's like but then the thing is is like usually once I've worked with an animator with motion capture, they see it in a different way and they'll they'll work with it how I like them to work with it. And and it's not trying to take their job, it's trying to actually make their job easier so they can focus on the stuff that's really cool. Nice. And it you also
0: know? seems like it's the style of genre as well, like you mentioned for Assassin's Creed or Splinter Cell or even um the James Bond one, those are more of a, a realistic Style of genre versus uh, the Raymond, you know, series that Ubisoft put produces here. So oh, yeah. I could, you know, like you mentioned, they were looking for a realism in Assassin's Creed. So it would make sense that to a certain degree, you're going to use that as your base in mm-hmm. your animation.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that you know, it may, may, maybe it is just down to the the projects that I've chosen to work on. You know, it's like obviously Assassins, we were looking for that raw realism. Mm-hmm. Um, for Bond, it seemed pointless trying to hand animate. Um, Daniel Craig's brutality when we had access to the guy that created Daniel Craig's brutality (laughs) and we could actually put that in the game and if you see some of the animations from that it's like it's Daniel Craig it looks like I mean as in it moves like Daniel Craig I mean the reason it moves like Daniel Craig is because we use the guy that was Daniel Craig's body double
3: Mm.
2: you know it makes sense and then with Splinter Cell it's like we really wanted to take realism I think the mandate that we had was it's like it was one of the pillars it was like it was realism it was like we had to go everything had to have a reason everything had to be you know like had to be grounded in reality and even from just the way sam moved through the environment it had to look real Mm -hmm. you know it had to look like he was aware of his surroundings and then you know it's like i know rick was saying before we'll talk about kevin later but without him we couldn't have done a fair chunk of the stuff that we did
0: well, let's, let's bring him up here, this Kevin Secor. Right, like I said, I've not... Sam
1: Fisher. His name is Sam Fisher. Okay, Sam Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> I do Come know on. who Sam
0: Fisher is.
3: <laughs>
0: so what is his background, and how did he get involved in, in some of the motion capture for Splinter Cell and become
2: Sam Fisher?
3: Well,
2: the thing is, if you knew who Kevin Secor was, he's not doing his job right. So okay. The, the, so, so the fact that you don't know who he is is a very, very good thing. Okay. Because he'll, it's like a shark, he'll know who you are before you know who he is. <laughs> and then, but anyway, no, so no, no, no. He, it turned out that, um, you know, when I got into the project, we were looking for, for reference for, um, for our version of Sam Fisher. And obviously, we'd been looking at, uh, films such as Taken and things like that. We were looking for someone around about that age. And I, I, I roughly knew I, well, I knew we wanted to bring back the knife. Um, I knew I wanted to, to have like a flow to the combat and I knew I wanted to go a little bit further with the Krav Maga, the, I think Rick and every, and the team worked on with conviction. Um, so I wanted to take that as far as I could go. You know, I really wanted to to bring momentum into things. Um, and it turned out the designer that we, that we were working with, um, like directly when I was talking about the Trinity, he used to live in Montreal as well and used to, to train with with this guy and he's an instructor um by by trade and he's he's like he's also been a bodyguard and he now he trains swat teams all around the world mm-hmm. um he's the guy that trains the swat teams to do what they do you know so uh, he he kind of he's he's really good at breaking down emotion. he's really good at explaining something and it turns out he basically had every combat background that I I was looking for. And I mentioned to him about we wanted to bring back the knife and we wanted to bring in in a certain way that kind of made it iconic. You know, Ubisoft likes to do their iconic weapons and things like that. I think like Assassins obviously had the Hidden Blade and then they had the Tomahawk in 3 and it's just the way it is. So I wanted Sam Fish to have his iconic weapon and we just didn't want it to be a straight blade. So he kind of suggested this curved karambit. And the thing is, in Conviction, they'd had this idea that Sam Fisher was a panther. You know, like he was stalking his prey and everything. And I was just like, okay. And then Kevin turned around to me and he was like, well, this is actually called the Panther's Claw. And I was just like, no that's <laughs> and he was just like yeah and I was like no you've, you've been no that's not right and he was like no it's called the panther's claw because it's got this hooking blade that you can kind of tear rip and render and yeah, do all sorts of calls it's yeah. amazing but the cool thing is, is you can manipulate uh, manipulate people with it so you don't necessarily have to use it for just stabbing and killing you can actually make them do what you want and I was like oh I like that that's good <laughs> so, so he started showing me all these moves with a poor student of his, um, not a poor student, I mean, as in poor student, as in, you know, because he was getting ripped around everywhere by Kevin Sikor. Um <laughs> Wasn't some, some guy he brought off the street. Um, it was just, but he, he started moving him around and then like just manipulating him around. I was like, this is awesome. And you know, and then at first I didn't believe he was doing it. I thought, oh, maybe the student's kind of, you know, just making it look cool. So then he did it on me. And then he and then that that was the biggest mistake. And that's why I never got in a suit with Kevin Sikor. So it's like because Kevin Kevin doesn't know what half speed is. So you usually when you're in a suit you kinda of go half speed, you know, because you don't want to hurt each other. Kevin doesn't do half speed. He, he he does full speed and beyond. So it was it was crazy. Um so yeah, so we we got him involved. Um, he, he also, um, trains in this, uh, this movement system called, uh, Systema and Systema is, it's a really, it's, it's how to basically transition from high to low and back again with minimal movement. It's like the most efficient way of moving you've ever seen anyone move. And it just doesn't look real. You know? So I remember showing, uh, the, the video to, to some of my team and they were like, no, we can't have him in the game. It just doesn't look right. No one will believe you. I'm just like, well, that's why we need him in the suit. So um, I had to. So I was still trying to convince the team that this was the right guy. We had him on set, and I I invited like the creative director and some of the other leads down to the studio, and then basically just set Kevin on them. It was like, you know, it's, <laughs> like, it's like, you Get know, there, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly what I did. I was just like, I knew I was convinced. I didn't have to be convinced, you know. So I set Kevin on them, and then at the end of that five and a half minutes i think it was probably they lasted oh, they were okay. they were all like yeah that's the guy and i'm yeah. like it's cool and then he was and then we ended up working re- I, you know i i i got really really well with him you know i actually saw him last weekend he he was training my six and a half month old how to do push-ups <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a I've, I've got a picture of it and it's insane it's like <laughs> it's like yeah how he managed to do that i have no idea uh but yeah, he, he's he's the real deal. I mean, and I think the as far as authenticity goes, I mean, having him in the suit—it was—I it, mean, we originally thought we'll get him in as a consultant, but then he just couldn't get anyone to move like him. You know, yes, he's an instructor, but then he was moving so. And the thing is, he's kind of the right age for Sam Fisher as well, right? So, so if there was any creakiness in his movement, it just would have added to the authenticity. Nice. You know, um, so that's why I always called him the real Sam Fisher. Nice. I always refer to him as that. You know, he was the guy that trained the actor that we had for the cinematic version of Sam Fisher. He trained him, you know, <laughs> and then to, to the point where the, they, they became one, you know, like Eric lost a load of weight and, you know, like Kevin basically trained him. And it was just like it was scary.
3: <laughs>
2: so, like, you know, especially when you'd see Eric on set holding a weapon. You know, and then he'd hold it, and then he'd automatically start like he he could basically take apart a gun, hold it, point it, and then and then he became ambidextrous as well. It was like it was just it was crazy. It's like cool. you wouldn't. I mean, and the thing is, is Eric, Eric was on. He was working on uh, a show in Toronto, which was um, called Rookie Blue, and it's like, and he was bringing some of that training from Kevin to that set, and they kept telling him to pull it back.
3: So,
2: <laughs> So, so it was not it was it was good, but yeah, there's, there's there's I've got lots of interesting stories about that guy. <laughs> Many of them I can't talk about.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what well, you could probably share with uh, some of the the students who'll be uh, joining the leap edition of our games program. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's
2: what they want to talk about. They may not learn anything from me, but they'll learn a lot about combat systems from Kevin Secor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually that was my next question here. So, if we want to segue to that, you're going to be teaching here. In our Games Workshop Three Elite, what will you be teaching in that one?
2: Well, I, I think the, the 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 first place I'm going to start is I'm going to break down my GDC talk. Um, I'm going to break that down into two parts, and um, I'm probably gonna I'm going to add some more stuff to it as well that wasn't a GDC, just because I want to extend it a little bit. But I think the the first part will be going on about how we we. Basically, came up with the the style for Splinter Cell and how we broke that down, and some of the decisions we made, and and why we did what we did. And then the second part of that is going to be about uh, it's what I was talking about before was about how we managed to do what we did with, under the constraints that we did. Okay, you know, so it's going to be partly style based, and obviously, you know, showing how, and then it's also going to be partly like process based. You know, so it's going to be like talking about how we broke stuff down and, you know, I'll, I'll extend it beyond what my GDC talk was. I think there's a lot more interesting stuff that I can talk about that. I just didn't have time to talk about in those, that, that talk. Very
0: nice. Okay. Now you can't tell us about what you're working on any time frame when we can have you back on, or is that not even in the works yet either?
2: No, <laughs> no? <Okay. laughs> it's, not even, it's not even in the works yet. Uh, it's like, it's we're that far out. It's like, okay. it's, it's, uh, you know, it's like, I'll keep you in the loop and then, you know, I, <laughs> and it'll be one of these things that trust me, it's like the more you get to know me, you'll realize that I don't get excited about just random stuff. Okay. If I'm, if I'm like this, I'm in it. I mean, it, it. it's the real deal. <laughs> it's
0: good stuff. huh? Okay. So we'll tentatively put you down for the future and that's, that's about as best we can do, huh?
2: Yeah. Like maybe 2018, maybe. something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Rick, you got any other questions here before we close? Two questions.
1: So why join iAnimate and how hard is it to find uh, gameplay animators?
2: Okay. There you go. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, well, you know what? It's like the, there's a couple of my, my animators for, that came through from your guys. Mm-hmm. And as in, you know, so it's like I, I was kind of made aware of iAnimate through them. You know, so when, you know, sorry, I remember when they came in for the interview, I went and had a look. What what you guys were doing, and then I was really impressed with the games course and and how that wasn't you know it's like in the show reel and there's like really impressive, and then you know obviously like saw the the Rick was in was in charge of it and and everything and then there's a load of people on there that I know, you know and there's, so the cool thing is is I I was really interested in working with and helping teach a bunch of students how to get games animators, you know so it's like I thought well you know, we're always asked to go to universities and to, to basically say, "Hey, let's 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 talk about what we can do for your course." But then, also, you've got like iAnimate, which is is run by people in the industry. You know, or have been in the industry, and it's like, and then you see the quality of some of the work coming out. I was like, hey, I w- I'd love to be a part of that. You know, <laughs> and the fact that you guys have asked me to be an instructor really is an honor. You know, it's like it's because if I wasn't an instructor, hey, I'd probably enroll myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, it's just the fact that you guys got me on the other side of the line. I'm like, yeah, yeah, fine, I'll do that. That's
0: <laughs> no, that's that's actually a really neat compliment when the work speaks for itself, and that's how a program or a company can always tout themselves, but when you've got uh, word of mouth and just the quality of what's being produced from the students who are coming out of here, uh, that to me speaks volumes. So that's a great, great compliment.
2: Oh yeah. You, I mean, you guys are without, you're the real deal, right? You know, it's like, you see, you see some of the stuff that comes out and then the fact that, you know, I hope that I can help, you know, maintain some of the quality and, you know, maybe even like push it even further. And then, yeah, you know, I'm. I'm really looking forward to that. And to, to be honest with you, it's like I mean, Rick and I have have talked about this. Is like from a completely selfish agenda way. <laughs> it's like, hey, I mean, if I've got students that uh, that are really kind of are really good, and and then they get used to the way I work, then that kind of makes sense that they could end up on my team. I mean, of course, I'm not guaranteeing jobs. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, but but it's it's. it's it's we're always looking for good animators and gameplay animators as you said are really hard to come by there's a lot of people that can animate and there's a lot of people that think they can animate but then i'd like to to think that we can take animators turn them into either gameplay animators and then get them to think in a certain way and then that's going to benefit us this roundabout way of we're helping each other out and i think that it's 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 going to be a really good way to get into the industry it kind of makes sense if if these people work well and they end up producing good quality work right
0: yeah you know we've kind of talked about this before too that the the days of kind of internship are a little bit more long gone but for animate we wanted to make it more of a training ground as well as an internship so to speak where you're you're learning how a studio works you're learning how to take Criticism and feedback. Um, you're learning how to work with someone like you who's an animation director. and so this becomes my anime has become more than just a training. It's become more of an of an internship as well and, and learning how to be able to fit into a studio pretty quickly.
2: Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I started as an intern, but then this way, it's like these guys have got direct access to people that they probably wouldn't have access to unless they're actually working in those studios. Right. So, you know, like if you work with me, it's going to be different to if you're working with someone else on the course, because they've probably got different ways of, of styles of working. It's like, I like to think I work in a very, I suppose, Ubisoft way and it, it works well for, for me. It works well for my team. By the time they finish working with me, whether they love me or hate me, they kind of, they get, what i'm looking for and you know it's like i I hope that you know like as they go through that they progress through their careers and everything that that they look back and see that that helped for sure for sure
0: well you know like i said we're really looking forward to you joining this program here you've got an immense knowledge and and 15 plus years of experience and so and we do as well appreciate you joining us tonight for this podcast it's been really really cool and exciting
2: Oh, no, it's been fun, man. It's been really good, and I, I, can't, I can't wait to get started. Roll on September. All right, all right. <laughs> all right.
0: Well, Christian, we really do appreciate it, man. You have a good night, and uh, get some rest. All right, I'll probably be up in about an
2: hour or so uh, for my baby anyway. So, <laughs> But thanks, man. Uh, take it easy. All right, take care. All right, thanks. Uh, bye-bye. Ten,
3: feel the earth move, and then hear my heart burn.